Hey, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK with Mackenzie Fagan, coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. On the program today, the show's crew steps out from behind the camera to talk about Joe Biden, Mussolini's granddaughter, and bad ayahuasca trips. When you do it because you just want to, like, get high and, like, hallucinate, it, like, devalues that culture. It says, well, everything's just consumable for the experience. Nothing matters. Yeah, it's like tourism. Everything's on fire. And then we quiz 112BK's resident wonk on what made it into the state budget. If this budget had occurred in any other year, we'd be flabbergasted by the stuff it accomplished. Relative to expectations, it fell short. things I love most about working on 112BK is that so many of my colleagues are young women of color. Some of them immigrants, some of them queer, all of them able to take Milo Yiannopoulos in a fight. Their viewpoints, along with the viewpoints of the men who work on the show who also represent diverse backgrounds and identities, permeate 112BK like a spicy, woke, dry rub, informing the types of stories we cover and the guests we book. Today, I'd like to introduce you to a few of these women in a new segment. It's like The View, except Abby Huntsman can't sit with us. Mira Al-Rahim, Shireen Bargi, and Isabel Alcantara. Let's take it away. Thanks for joining us, you guys. Thanks for having us. I would love to hear your thoughts on the current Joe Biden situation. Um, How are we feeling about it? Not great. No. Tell us us your thoughts. Joe Biden should just peacefully rescind into the background (laughs) and just say uh people like me because i stood next to obama a lot and that's really that's it i mean what's surprising to me is that there's any surprise around it like we've known that he puts his hands on women's shoulders for far too long for like years now it's always sort of been like an inside joke right also how many men has he done that to right no none right but i guess that's something that people say is that like oh it's not just women he does it to men it's like part he of doesn't, like, who he is i i haven't seen a, i mean maybe he does but i've seen more pictures of him doing it to women yeah. than men like does he smell Men's hair. Yeah, where's you the know? picture of him? Depends like, on if they're using like perp yeah. plus or something that smells really. And where's good. the picture of him holding Obama's shoulders and kissing the top of his head? I mean, like, where pictures, is that? I mean, I mean, I Obama. think he is like a physically affectionate a guy. That's sort guy. of his like shtick. Yeah. But it just right. it gets more and more comical, right? Where it's like one woman's like, oh, he touched my shoulder. Another woman's like, oh, he nuzzled my neck. Somebody else is like, he he went in to nuzzle noses. Like, yeah, who, like bunny who does kiss. That? Does that? Like, yeah. I think another thing is he's been so god awful at apologizing for what he's done. I mean, it's never really. I mean, he's kind of sort of insisted that he didn't intend for anything inappropriate to happen, but like hasn't ever stopped to consider like how he might have made uh, these People women feel, feel at any point. Yeah. I mean, even considering like his responsibility over the Anita Hill case. I mean, he's done well to kind of talk about the atmosphere that was but he prevalent. But he didn't apologize to he her. He wouldn't apologize directly to her. Yeah. And I think he said he feels considered. bad about how he handled I that mean, I case. think this is a good point, right? So. That like his intentions do matter, but also yeah. he has um, not really spoken out and, and apologized in, in the correct way and mm-hmm. done a mea culpa. I mean, I also feel like, I don't know, what do, what do we think about how this, does this signal the demise of his political career? Absolutely not. No. I don't think it does at no. all. I think, I, think if he was, I think if he were to run, he is pretty much guaranteed around 20 to 25% of the base. 
and we can't write him off too soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that's unfortunate. Isabel, I don't disagree with you necessarily. I don't feel like he should run. I think no. he's. I think if he's if he were to run now, which he definitely will, he'll just gonna he's gonna spend his entire campaign apologizing, and Agreed. it's going to be awful, and it's going to be embarrassing, and we're all gonna be very mortified to have to vote for him when it comes down to it. <laughs> I, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's we will true. all check that box though. Right. Shreen, yeah. what do you think about you know? I feel like some some men and some women are saying, "Whoa, like can't we hug anymore? Like this is so extreme. Like what do you respond to that?" That's a good question. I think like. Let me take it back to the first when I first read Lucy Flores's article in The Cut. Like, it all made sense. And what I noticed mostly is that the response that she got about how she's like, you know, a, you know as if she has some agenda for coming coming out with this um, article, now writing about this now, when it, when it was an event that happened like five years ago. And a lot of people said that, does she have an agenda? Some people, um, you know, like brought up the fact that she supported Bernie Sanders and she was like, she's doing it now because she she's trying to like make the path clear for Bernie mm-hmm. but I feel like also um, it's important to talk about this stuff I mean that's quite a sword to fall on to clear the path for Bernie you know yeah. like like yeah. this is like someone's reputation like you're going public you're saying all these things of a beloved political figure like you don't you don't just do yeah. that because you're like you know really but pulling for your candidate so what if yeah. she is like so what if she's like there's somebody else who is more fit to serve in the highest office in well, the land see, like, like to me that makes a fine case well i think like right now the language uh, that we that we use as women to describe these events needs to change calling it creepy or gross you know versus like unacceptable it was out of line i feel like being more definitive and describing things because because calling something like creepy or gross it just like it doesn't say much well, i think ambiguous you think it's ambiguous? I don't necessarily I think, think it's like, very I ambiguous. I think it evokes a feeling. Yeah, it's and very I think personal. Like, because like every woman has felt gr- ambiguously gross about something. Yeah. Like, and, right. and may not be able to say whether or not it crossed a line. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that Joe Biden leaving his hand on somebody's shoulders for 10 seconds crosses a line, but it could make someone feel creepy. And so I do sort mm-hmm. of feel like the I statements that we're trained to use mm-hmm. of like, I felt like that made me feel like you were a creepy old man. It's like different from being like that is unacceptable behavior in all cases. Or I feel like it was unacceptable what happened to me, I feel. Mira, what do you think about in race? We talk about like microaggressions a lot about how somebody can be, you know, not overtly racist, but that there are microaggressions that over a lifetime chip away at somebody's like sense of self. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you consider this to be like the gender version of microaggressions? Oh, God, that's such a good question. I Mm -hmm. think. If anything, it is a testament to how out of step Biden is with everything that's been mm-hmm. going on in, in, in terms of politics and in the area of Me Too. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, do I consider what he did a microaggression? I mean, certainly by today's standards, but I think something that he's dealing with is like he doesn't know how to be in this time. He's been a politician, a career politician for many years in his life now. This is yeah. the way he's dealt with women for forever. And this yeah. is the first time people are actually coming out and being in a serious way. I recognize those pictures have been out for a long time, those, those creepy pictures, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word to use. But just to say that um, I just I just don't know what I it's not I don't feel any sympathy for him. But I I, I imagine that he must feel confounded, you know, at this point in his career. He's gotten this far without any controversy. And what he's doing has always been kind of freaky and creepy. But but just 
I don't know. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden now. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like, well, actually, Joe, like probably people had a problem with it. I mean, well, you can't take accountability. Sorry. No, no. Like at the end of the day, this is like a white man. And I feel like we or like America hasn't helped by calling him like Uncle Joe or like, you know, America's favorite grandfather. Think about what it means when we call him Uncle Joe, too. Because like we all have the uncle. Yeah. The uncle archetype. Right. And, you know, I do want to acknowledge that, like, you know, some people have come out and been like, I didn't feel uncomfortable when he touched me. Yeah. which is like fine and valid but that doesn't mean that all women all didn't feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable right yeah, yeah this, mean, this chorus of you know these surrogate women who have just come out like Megan McCain and you know people who had worked on the Clinton campaign it, it's it's all just kind of ridiculous and I feel like I can't believe we haven't gotten to the point where we realize like just because some people didn't feel creepy doesn't delegitimize the experience of women who came out and felt like violated by mm-hmm. his actions I wish we could just get past that point you know people you know the same thing can happen to two people and two people can have different outcomes but that doesn't mean you can like then disrespect like the other person I mean it's like in yoga yeah. some people <laughs> like the teacher coming over and making adjustments and yeah. some people take the white stone and they place it on their yoga mat and they're like please don't touch me if we can do this for yoga why yeah. can't we do this for the rest of the I mean, yeah. and like for public events with public figures and like I think ultimately at the heart of this issue is that Biden is in a position of power yeah. even if he's not holding office is like he was you know the vice president yeah. he was like he was the chairman of this committee he was there's, there's all of these things that are automatically placed on top of the fact that he is an older white straight man you know, so at like at the heart of it, how many positions of power does he have to hold for you to be like, listen, I feel weird telling you no. Right. And that like, who do I report to? That's exactly. so true. And that unfortunately I mean, leads to this gray area <clears throat> where it's like, how do you hold someone in power accountable right. if they're not holding themselves accountable? I mean, some arguments that I'm hearing are like, we have a president who is so odious and yeah. is such a harasser yeah. and definitely has done terrible things that we don't yeah. even know about publicly. Like, why are we expanding so expending so much energy on somebody who like? nuzzled someone's hair. Right. Can I can I add to can I just say something yeah. to that point? It's like okay, yeah. he's not a pussy grabber. But that's just not good enough. It's insane. I hate that. You right. know? And again, you know, like I don't I think that we are all in agreement and the fact that we have to keep on saying like he's not an overt sexual harasser, like he's not an assaulter, and yet there is something that makes us feel uncomfortable. It feels like a constant need to justify something that is problematic and that many women are saying like this is something that happens to me all the time like I don't know how many times have you been in a situation where the only person to touch you in some way is uh is a dude is a straight dude Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah nobody else is touching you yeah and And sometimes it feels fine and sometimes it doesn't and it would be deemed inappropriate if anyone else did it at any other point and it just happens to be this exception right I don't know it's weird well, I should note that this is going to air on, on Friday in a couple days, so who knows what the next couple days will hold. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I'm, just, I'm not holding my breath. Man. This, this could get really bad for him, actually. I know. I've been holding my breath for like five years, to be yeah. honest. I'm like, oh, Diamond Joe. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about something that's a little bit of a weird one. Uh, Jim Carrey is back in the spotlight. Oh, yeah. Phew. Um, and he's in a Twitter spat with Mussolini's granddaughter <laughs> over a cartoon. He's an artist now, right? So he drew a cartoon where Mussolini and his mistress are being strung up by their feet Mm -hmm. and the caption was like this is what happens to fascist dictators and Mussolini's granddaughter like got pissed about it 
What do you What do you guys think about that? Weird to come in, fa- come out in favor of the fascist dictator, no matter like who he is to you. No, yeah. but it's still it's, weird. It's weird. What's yeah. weird is that she's a politician for like the center right party in Italy, Forza. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's unprecedented that it, that a descendant of Mussolini, not even his great granddaughter, his granddaughter, like she's not even that far. She yeah. might have known the guy. She for probably God's met sake. him. Yeah. yeah, she probably met him. Yes, yeah. um, and she's still in the game. I, oh, I just yeah, can't believe Italy. it. I mean, like Berlusconi is still in the I game. I know it's a good like, point because. Yeah, yeah. Really fair, but yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? Where it's like, okay, there's some family allegiance, I guess. Like, do you think that she's no. justified in saying like that's dehumanizing of my grandfather, even if he was a bad guy? I don't think that's what she was trying to say. I think what she was think? using that to say that, listen, America, you also have your own checkered past. So yeah. how about why Jim Carrey? Should like- be noted, Jim Carrey is Canadian. Oh, no, I know. No. I was I'm, floored. This changes my whole uh, house. I know. Game. That's right. Game change. Who yeah, else is Canadian? Gladys Morrison. A lot of secret Canadians yeah. out there. Have you guys seen any of the the hallowed classic Carrie Cannon from the '90s recently? I like Ace Ventura. Yeah, like Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura. Dumb and Dumber is so not. Okay. I know. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't hold up. Oh, it doesn't no. hold up. It's so trans it's and so homophobic. Trans- yeah. Oh, like my God. there's a scene where he realizes that he's just, I think, made out with mm-hmm. uh, a trans <laughs> woman, woman, a trans yeah. woman, mm-hmm. and it's a whole comedic montage where he like plunges his face, takes a cold shower, where he's like sobbing and vomits into the toilet. It's, it's just God. It's brutal. Right. Wow. It's that. unfortunate. I, I just don't know what but Jim what? Carrey didn't write Ace Ventura. Okay, you know? that's yeah. true. Jim Carrey did write a lot of tweets about being an anti-vaxxer, though. So oh, that's so unfortunate. It's so much yeah. worse. You see, this is the problem with the story. I don't really know who to get behind because I don't really feel particularly sympath- sympathetic yeah. toward Jim Carrey, and I definitely oh. don't feel sympathetic toward Mussolini's, Mussolini's granddaughter. And like, oh. I just don't know where I really stand in this whole issue. It's just like a Twitter cesspool. This is a Twitter cesspool. Fire. It's like one of those things that pops up in your Twitter moments, and you're like, huh. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And then you move on to like this more is, important things. This is the thing, though, that my, my mom is on Twitter and she's always <laughs> like, what is happening? And I don't have the heart to tell her that this is just happening a lot. You know, it's like, yeah, this Jim is Carrey. Twitter's lifeblood. Yeah. This is how it sustains Jim, itself. Jim, Jim Carrey getting into a fight incident. with Mussolini's granddaughter is the most 2019 bullshit I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's just going to get worse. Did you what see your other? tweets? They were so weird. They were like, like someone said, like, oh, your piggish grandfather. And she was like, well, what about your piggy family? And it was just like so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's what is like this? part English as a second yeah. language, yeah. perhaps. No. And part like sure. I'm just learning how to use Twitter. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's do you guys bizarre. have any other favorite spats that you can of think this of? Year? Of just like this year or in general? Yeah, Twitter spats. Oh, like gosh. Twitter spats. I wish I wish I I wish I had an answer for you immediately because I want to be the kind of person to be like that thing that I happened. I think it speaks highly so of you that you don't. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, I, I want to shift focus again because we're we're preparing for this segment on Weed Church is what it's it's called on the board. Church of Weed. Church of Weed. Yeah. And Sheree, maybe you can just give us like a brief background on what the story is. So the Emmanuel Baptist Church in uh, Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, became the first church to host a conference on marijuana and the industry and the business and how it's excluding people of color mostly. And so we'll be having the executive director of Women Grow, uh, which is like this amazing organization that strives to promote uh, and encourage women in the 
weed business. And also the pastor, um, the, the senior pastor, Reverend Trufant, will be here tomorrow to talk about like this conference that happened in So we're February. taping that tomorrow, and I think it's going to air on Friday, but mm-hmm. we've sort of been tickled by this idea of like, whoa, like weed in churches. Yeah. And then that <laughs> led to this discussion about like, well, what about drug use in other religions, which is yeah. actually not that kooky, yeah. Um, yeah. including ayahuasca. Have, have any of you guys done ayahuasca? No. 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 I, just, I, maybe you're not allowed to say it on camera, but can like wink or something. You it's done it? Same I am not. I am not, and I have no desire to. No, but I Why do have because it's because you vomit everywhere because you spew everywhere. <laughs> Spewing, and, and that's the best like part about you it. You think that you're dying, and I'm yeah, not yeah. that. I'm not that interested. Yeah. But I do know a lot of people who are interested, uh, who are sort of like white, uh, like spiritual seekers, and I'm curious about your guys's thoughts Isabel like do you have any thoughts about um sort of like a a secular white appropriation of something that is actually part of a religious and cultural experience for indigenous people yeah well I mean like saging sage (laughs) sage has just become like white girl Febreze it's so sad when I had my last housewarming party did you get saged I, I have so many people brought me sage. Yeah. Thank you to all my friends who brought me housewarming present gifts, but I have so much sage. I don't know what to do with it. Too much sage. Yeah. Cooking. Yeah. So what about, <laughs> do you think that you, that one should be able to sage if you are not I mean, a member of an indigenous community? I think it's like anything. It's like, you have to consider all of the factors. The fact that like, do people do this when they do it? Is it a really like sacred ceremony? Do they like, is it? Does it mean a lot of to a lot of people when you do when you do a practice? Is that something that if I were to do it sort of like disparagingly, would someone be upset with me? And that's sort of the reflection you have to have during these things. Like there's so many white guys that go to Oaxaca to do peyote, right? And then there's like a whole group of people who are like, peyote is this ritual we do because it informs our artistry and our mm-hmm. culture and all of these things. When you do it because you just want to like get high and like hallucinate, it like devalues that culture. It says, well, everything's just consumable for the experience. Nothing matters. Yeah, it's like tourism. Everything's on fire. It's like I remember. I mean, not tangentially related, but I remember a few years ago, some of my white friends were wearing the hijab, and it was like hijabi for the day. Now we know what it's like to be a Muslim woman. Yeah, and you know, wow, it just takes one day. That's amazing. (laughs) And it's like almost like, and you know, like in the community, people start calling hijab tourism you know mm-hmm. and it's my friend kind of calls it yeah convertible hijabs yeah right? convertible top on hijabs, top yeah. off that's so yeah. crazy <laughs> that they have a name for that yeah. so, so it is kind of like a question of cultural appropriation to some degree absolutely. right I mean it's, absolutely. it's really what's going on and yeah. I, I think like cultural appropriation happens all the time and is sort of like a legacy of us mm-hmm. living in a melting pot but I guess the question is like uh, in which in which contexts is it acceptable and how do you do it in a way that doesn't feel squicky? You, you know, there are shamans. I, I, I know of this, not personally, but I, at least I've heard about this. Like there are shamans that, that travel around the country and host um, events for mm. people who want to pay a certain amount of money to have a like guided experiment. trip with a, you know, a, a authentic, I guess, authentic shaman mm-hmm. for lack yes. of a better way to put it. Yeah. And these are people coming from indigenous communities to America to like run these trips. In that case, like I don't necessarily know if it's if it's a terrible thing that white people want to get on board. Like they're not traveling to the Amazon, like maybe they're just doing it in like they're in, in a place in like Bed-Stuy, who knows? But just to say that there is a distinction to be made between like going to, you know, the indigenous communities themselves and other countries to do these trips and just like ha- like 
purchasing the service of a shaman like in their own country. Like, I mean, I also feel like there is a way to do it respectfully, which is sort of mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But also, like, if you just like the smell of sage in your house, like, mm-hmm. I just wish that there was an added dimension yeah. of are we also talking about like the Dakota Access Pipeline, or you know, like exactly. if you're gonna if you're gonna cherry pick the parts of a culture that you think yeah. are rad, maybe yeah. you should also do a little bit of research into ways in which they are oppressed. Or maybe like, you absolutely. just like like the smell of sage and that's cool, but like don't pretend that it's anything more. There's no like wellness cleansing. You're just kind of like, I just like the smell of the way Palo Santo burns. Right. No, but you see Palo Santo is, a, is, is kind of a contentious one. And is this it? is something I found out only recently, much to my dismay because I've Educate been- Educate us, Mira. Well, I was using Santo it pretty smells seriously. Delicious. It, it smells does. amazing and it, it tastes great in ice cream. Yeah. I've had, has anyone had Palo Santo yeah. ice cream here? No, it's I haven't amazing. had That's bougie, I Where love Where can we it. get but, Palo Santo? But <laughs> there, there is like, it, it's contentious because Man, I, I really wish I had more facts on my side for this, but I know that it's coming from a tree that is like endangered right now because like so much of it is being cut down and like to like mass sell it off to people like us, I guess, who want to like use it in our apartments. <laughs> but actually, it, no, it has an important role in certain indigenous communities Absolutely. and rituals and practices, right? But they're actually running out of it. And, oh my God, and it's and like, like mezcal. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what about mezcal? Like what do you everything. mean? Are they mezcal, are we running out of mezcal? Mezcal, the the agave plant takes a long time to grow, wow. Um, wow. and you get a very little amount of mezcal per per harvest. And mm-hmm. so now that mezcal is exploding in popularity, there there are sustainable ways to grow it and less sustainable ways to grow it. So there is some concern about managing agape populations in wow. Mexico. So yeah. I imagine it's a similar thing with the Palo Santo situation. So. I'm sure. And I, I mean, mean, like quinoa is like destroying so much of Peru because of it's like mm-hmm. over, they're overgrowing it, they're over harvesting and people want it here. And it, that's why it's so expensive, right? Uh, can't and, we just be well? Like <laughs> that's all I want is just like mezcal, quinoa and Palo Santo to be well. That's like every apartment in Crown Heights. That's right. And just something else to add to the ayahuasca thing briefly going back there. I mean, I think um, there were reports of tourists, ayahuasca drug tourists, like dying in these trips because, mm-hmm. like, they hadn't like they hadn't had a good batch of like ayahuasca or or something had gone horribly wrong during the trip. Uh, maybe they had a terrible reaction. Like people people actually like sustain permanent injuries, mental or otherwise, and yeah. or death it's in this joke. process. This yeah. is scary is stuff, joke. right? Drugs, be careful, be careful everyone with drugs. Right, right. Um, and that's not to say you can't do them, but just like, you know, man, I mean, we're I not think... advocating drug usage. <laughs> right, we're not advocating <laughs> drug usage at all. Make good um, choices. Know your risks. You guys, right. thank you so much for joining us Yay. for this first episode of The Crew. The Crew. I don't the know, crew. we're gonna workshop it. It's, um, cute. it's cute. Thanks for being here, you guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Last fall, Democrats took control of the New York State Senate for the first time in a decade. One might assume that with the Democratic legislature and governor, passing a progressive budget would have been a cakewalk. So how do we do? Here to update us on bail reform, mansion taxes, and congestion pricing is 112BK's political correspondent, Jarrett Murphy, who also moonlights as executive editor of City Limits. He can talk the talk, but can he wonk the wonk? I don't know what that means. Welcome back, Jared. <laughs> Thanks for having me. What's the headline? Are we happy with this budget as progressives? 
I think we are happy. I don't think we're as happy as we would like to be. There was a huge to-do list facing the Senate Democrats, as you mentioned, the governor of the assembly coming into office in January. All this pent-up um, desire for new policies built up over many, many years, decades, really. And then a new era, sort of a progressive thinking around some policies. If this budget had occurred in any other year, we'd be flabbergasted by the stuff it accomplished. Relative to expectations, it fell short. So let's look at some of the really good news. Um, talk to me about some of the criminal justice reforms that are included in this cash bail, uh, mm-hmm. disclosures. So there were three big kind of to-dos on that agenda. One was speedy trial, which is a right that has kind of fallen by the wayside in New York. This budget includes mechanisms to try to enforce that on courts. Um, a lot of cases, we've talked about Khalif Browder being the most famous one. Really, the issue there was just how long it takes cases to process. That's what keeps folks in jail awaiting trial in places like Rikers Forever. Discovery reform. New York State has terrible discovery laws, or I should say had terrible discovery laws. Texas's laws are better than ours. Wow. Defense being Nobody shown, wants that. Nobody wants that, right? <laughs> Defense lawyers being shown stuff late, not being able to see everything. The budget approves that a great deal. On bail reform, that's where people fell short. There was a vow to end all cash bail on the idea that it was just morally improper to say that how much money you have determines whether you stay out or in before right. trial. But we got 90%, right? They say about 90% of defendants. Uh, whether that would be true in practice or not, I'm not sure, because a lot of defendants already are released without bail anyway. But what this says now is there's no cash bail in misdemeanors or nonviolent felonies. So violent felonies would still be uh, subject to potential uh, financial bail. Really what that does is it solves the problem of dangerousness. This became a debate in the last days of the budget, which was how do you let courts decide someone is too dangerous to release? All kinds of problematic racial considerations there. They decided to cheat and just say, okay, if you're charged with a violent felony, we consider you potentially dangerous and therefore bail can be imposed. Uh, What's interesting, too, is they also say that police officers now under most circumstances, have to issue a desk appearance ticket for misdemeanors and low-level felonies, Class E felonies. So right now, a lot of arrests that occur in those cases would no longer occur because you just get a ticket, go to court later. It solves some of that churn that feeds people into the system. So for the most part, the criminal justice issues addressed in this budget are super positive. The Bronx Defender said it was like Christmas. Yes. So we're happy about this. Like any Christmas, you don't get everything in your wish list, uh, but you get most of it. And separately, I should say, the governor signed a bill to create this commission to look at prosecutorial misconduct, which has been a controversy. This was outside of the budget, um, and the DAs hate it so much they're going to sue him over it. So there's other stuff going on in Albany around criminal justice that occurred kind of just before the budget, which is significant too. So speaking of commissions, tell me about this commission that is going to be assembled to talk about campaign finance. So what they did, this is really interesting. They wanted to talk about creating a system of public financing, like we have in the city, where candidates raise a certain amount of money from private donors and then qualify for matching funds. Um, So they've committed a commission to create that system. And they have, I believe, until the end of 2020 to do it, if I'm not mistaken. And basically, that commission gets to decide what the policy is unless the legislature steps in and says no. So there will be some sort of public financing system. What it will look like, what the matching rates will be like, what the other rules will be, is all going to be decided by this commission, which has yet to be named. And many progressive legislators were not thrilled about this development, right? They wanted something stronger in place. Totally, yes. They wanted something stronger in place. They wanted it in place sooner rather than later. It is an interesting level of policy to 
outsource essentially to a commission that we don't know yet. That is kind of unprecedented. And the sort of automatic nature of it is, I think, for any legislature and any policy, kind of a hard pill to swallow. New York also became the first city in the country to pass congestion pricing. Yes. Uh, tell me what that is going to look like. Well, that actually depends on what another commission so says. So many commissions. So it's it's a great time to be a commissioner. It is. <laughs> um, it is going to be another commission named by the Triborough Tunnel Authority, Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority, and they will be a six-member panel of transit experts. They will determine how the system is supposed to work. And those are pretty big questions. How much will the toll be? Will it change based on time of day and traffic volume? Will it apply to some people and not others? Those are all the questions that people raised during this debate, and now they too have been kind of offloaded to a commission. So that is intriguing, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, hand-wringing about that, but it is very significant. It's Ten years happen. ago, Albany killed congestion pricing. This year, it looked like not a sure thing after a while, but it's going to happen. And as some folks have mentioned, now that New York has done it, as with the smoking ban in bars and other things, other cities in the U.S. that are facing not necessarily a transit crisis like we have, but a congestion crisis may follow suit. Tell me how I'm supposed to feel about Cuomo's raise. He is now the best compensated governor in the United States. Is that correct? He will be. He will be. Right. It's a, a sliding escalation over several years to $250,000 ultimately. I think you should feel good about it. First of all, it lets people like you and me argue for a raise too because of Cuomo's getting one. Hear that, so Brick? Um, look, Cuomo right now makes like 180 grand. The guy oversees a budget of $175 billion, tens of thousands of state workers, a prison system, a park system. Um, it's a state of 19 million people. To make that kind of money is just not extraordinary. It's a silly, distracting debate. I was actually surprised when I saw that his raise was going to be to $250,000, which doesn't seem like that much. It's not that for much. An of a state. No, I mean, that's what I make in a week. So it's great. Really, yeah. All right. So lunch is on you later. Exactly. What didn't make it into the headlines that you think is worth discussing? Oh, interesting. So the DREAM Act, the state version of the DREAM Act, which um, allows undocumented immigrants access to resources for higher education, that was passed earlier, but it's been funded now. Um, there is uh, now money in the budget for a lot of clean water Act stuff, a lot of stuff to shore up wastewater systems around the state. Um, there's a law, it's like a little thing, but a lot of tenants around the state face trouble uh, based on source of income discrimination, like a landlord doesn't like the fact that you get Section 8. Now that is illegal statewide. So the budget in New York State is actually like 10 different bills, includes a ton of stuff that has nothing to do with the budget. And so I think it'll be weeks before we realize all the stuff, good or bad, that's in it. It's actually incredibly hard to find the actual budget online in trying to research this. There's plenty of summaries and you know yes. articles being written about it, but it is almost impossible to find the text of this budget. It is true. It is much less transparent than the city version. That is a result of some artifacts of state policy. And frankly, the fact that over the past 20 years or so, New York's budget went from being a document about spending and revenue to a document about spending revenue and all the other stuff we want to throw into it and decide uh, during budget time. It is kind of weird that we're talking about bail in the context of the budget. That's how we do it in New York State, and that's part of why it's so hard to sort out once this is passed in the dead of the night what people actually voted for. Right, and I still picture somebody in the basement like mimeographing the yes, entire thing. Yes, exactly. Um, did you read the entire budget? God, no. 
Okay, well, uh, maybe you should have because we've got a quiz coming oh, up. Okay. <laughs> okay. We love doing a quiz with you, Jarrett. Okay. Um, this is going to be multiple choice. Okay, that's good. Um, I don't know what you win if you if you get them all right, but we'll figure it out. It's kind of a handsome yeah, mug. Yeah, maybe this yeah. handsome mug. Okay. okay. Um, question one. The state spends which of the following amounts on the Department of Corrections and Supervision? A, $3 million. B, $300 million. C, $3 billion. $3 billion. That is correct. That is so much money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. But the budget does close some prisons, which is interesting. Okay, great. Something uh, Andrew Cuomo's father did the opposite of. He just built prisons like crazy. So Right. He's fixing fixing some mistakes exactly. made by his dad. Okay. Um, the New York State Council on the Arts is dedicated to preserving and expanding the rich and diverse cultural resources that are and will become the heritage of New York citizens. Their budget A went up, B went down, C stayed the same for this fiscal year. Stayed the same? Oh, no, it went down. Who needs art? <laughs> Who needs the arts? Pa. You can't eat art. Um, in the state operations portion of the budget enacted by the state legislature, the word miscellaneous appears how many times? A, 46, B, 14, or C, 462? I'm going to go 462. That is correct. <laughs> Why? What is all this miscellane- miscellany? Miscellaneous minutia. I don't know. That's a great question. Okay. Um, Question four. Basically, is it like the government saying yada yada yada? I think it is defining document. I move that that becomes official uh, language. Should in New York State at least. Question four. Funding for the MTA makes up what percentage of the state's transportation budget? A seven percent. B eighteen percent. Or C twenty two percent. It's 7%. Really? Yeah. This is uh, question for part B. (laughs) The amount, that amount went up, down, or stayed the same as last year? It stayed the same. It went down. It went down. Yeah. This is very distressing for me (laughs) as a a New Yorker, as somebody who rides the MTA. And it's a little counterintuitive. Yeah. That That is troubling. Okay. Question five. The state budget put in a requirement that companies with 100 or more employees must have health insurance plans that provide three cycles of what? A, Rogaine, B, dialysis, C, proactive, or D, in vitro fertilization? Uh, Dialysis? It's IVF. Really? That seems really progressive to me. It does. Okay. It does. Good job, New York State. Um, Last question, six. There's a line item. Um, It was introduced as funds to preserve professional football in western New York. Thank God. And it's $2.3 million. Did it go to, A, the committee to rename the Buffalo Bills the Buffalo Wings? B, multi-billionaire Terrence Pagula, who happens to own the Buffalo Bills, or C, establishing the Rochester Rhesus Monkeys as a team in the foundering AAF League? I'm going to go with the Bills owner. That's right. It is multi-billionaire Terrence Pagula, who got the $2.3 million in pure delicious pork. Wow. Uh, so glad we're preserving uh, football in Western New York. Yeah, excellent. Yes, yeah, that's yes, top of my list. Goodness. Um, Jarrett, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. That's the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show your love is to review 112BK on iTunes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.
Woman to BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Lee, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 